0: welcome everyone to the top producer podcast i am paul nefer your host and today we're going to have a conversation with doug hensley from hertz farm management uh, doug how are things going
1: doing really well paul glad to be with you um end of january here I yeah. see snow out the window, but um the sunshine the last couple of days here in central Iowa lead me to feel pretty good about the fact that spring's coming. It's not it, too far away.
0: Yeah. And that that is, you know, I've been in Colorado now for two winters. And the one thing I really appreciate about, at least on the front range part of Colorado, is it may be ten, it may be five below, but it is sunny all day long. So I, I do <laughs> I, I do appreciate that. So uh so Doug, we always like to start off the conversation with uh, your background as far as where you grew up. Maybe you went to college and and just fill fill the audience in on that.
1: Yeah, you bet. And I'm sure some of you some of your audience I'm familiar with or maybe they're familiar with me, but uh, I'm originally <clears throat> Paul from West Central Illinois. I grew up in McDonough County, Illinois, outside of a little farming town called Bushnell. And that's about for those of your audience who know their geography well, it's about halfway between Peoria, Illinois, and the Mississippi River, kind of over in the, in the wide part of, uh, of the state of Illinois on the map. And uh, grew up on a uh, corn, soybean, beef cattle farm in, in that area. Uh, had, a, had a great upbringing on the farm. Obviously, dad farm. My mom was a school teacher. Um, so kind of an all-American uh, type of background uh, as it was. And when I finished finished my high school studies, I ended up uh, choosing to go to the University of Illinois over in Urbana-Champaign. And I was a Ag finance undergrad and did an MBA at Illinois after after as well. So okay, that's that's a little about my background. I, I won't hold
0: that against you. I'm a University yeah. of Washington Husky, that. and we're joining yeah. the Big Ten this year. So yeah, and they may have to call it the Big Twenty here pretty soon. Correct, so. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So now, did you start with Hertz originally, or what? What mm-hmm. did you do when you got out of college?
1: Yeah, yeah, great question. So I I actually didn't and. Um, I'm one of the one of the uh, people who started my career really young because um, I actually got my real estate license when I was an undergrad. And <laughs> I, I, I worked for a company, a regional brokerage and auction company called the Loranda Group um, for a dozen plus years while I was in school and after school. And so I was a friendly competitor, actually, to Hertz Farm Management. Emphasis on friendly. Uh, did lots of Did lots of deals over time with people at Hertz and vice versa. You know, selling and buying farms back and forth, and just had a had a really good experience um, with the people at Hertz, and had some friends here before I before I ultimately uh, moved to Hertz here several years ago. But yeah, that's that was my background and in my entire working life. I've been in a uh, farmland brokerage and auction business, and so that's that's where I originated. Back when I was an undergrad, uh, selling and auctioning farms is where where it all started.
0: Is, is that uh, first uh, business you were with? Is that still in business? Or
1: yeah, 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 yeah. John Moss uh, is, is still selling farms and doing a good job. And actually, after working for him for about, a, uh, like I said, a little over a dozen years. I, in fact, uh, w- went out on my own and ran my own business for a, a, a short decade um, and had moved back closer to home uh, or closer to where I was from. There's this gap that I felt like was in the market in West Central Illinois that I, I filled, and I was continuing to sell farms all over Illinois and Iowa and, and other parts of the Midwest. But um, I, I, like I said, got my, uh, brokerage and auction roots through my time with, with John at, at Loranda and then went out on my own for a number of years. And, um, Hertz as a business, Hertz Farm Management as a business had gone through a bit of a leadership change, um, and uh, just as a maturing business back in the mid, uh, 2010s and, Coming out of that, uh, the business, Hertz Farm Management business, had grown a significant amount, and uh, because of the growth uh, that they had had, both in terms of people, headcount, as well as just geographic presence and reach, um, they wanted to, the owners of the business wanted to manage the business in a little different way than had been managed in previous generations, so they split apart some of the responsibilities. and um as a result of that they approached me about coming onto the leadership team and helping them um helping them essentially uh, support the brokerage and auction business that we have here at Hertz farm management and again remember back i i had had a had had a lot of dealings with people at Hertz and they were familiar with me and i with them yep. and it was just it's been a really good uh, productive um, combination uh, since coming to Hertz. and I moved to Hertz. I'm um, just beginning my eighth year. So back in 2017 in very early 2017 is when I uh, when I ended up, I sold my business in Illinois and uh, and transitioned over to Hertz and moved my family out to Central Iowa uh, just east of Ames. So that's where I live. And our corporate headquarters is just about uh, 10 minutes east of Ames in Nevada, it, Iowa. It, Nevada, not Nevada. It's Nevada. Not Nevada. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. There, every every state has towns that are pronounced a particular way. Yeah. And uh, you know whether you're a local or not uh, when you hear somebody talking. So Nevada, that's exactly right.
0: That's like where I grew up. There's a little town called Tushi, T-O-U-C-H-E-T. And then yep. um, when I'm listening to GPS go through the town of Touche, and I'm like, no, it's Touche, so, uh, so, uh, yeah, you're right, there's, and of course, uh, there's a lot of Indian names, you know, all across the country, you know, there's lots of towns with Indian names, including uh, here in Colorado, and uh, actually, there's one just uh, probably about 15 miles from me, Kiowa, so, uh, but, uh, so how big is the footprint, the geographic footprint for Hertz? I'm just curious how, how big of a reach that they have.
1: So um, the focus of the business, unquestionably, over time has been uh, in the Midwest, but it's expanded um, in in the last decade or so. Uh, we manage uh, some properties down in the Panhandle of Texas. We're working on a special, some special consulting type of project work in Arizona and other places that we have gone for clients. We have uh, thirteen offices that are kind of scattered across. I'll call it the belt buckle of the Corn Belt, and a couple in Eastern Nebraska get up into Minnesota with an office in Mankato, several scattered across uh, the state of Iowa and over into Illinois with a uh, presence and reach into uh, neighboring states and uh, coming off of all of those kind of core corn belt states but like I said it's uh, the the presence and reach of our business has extended here in recent years with some other other special projects that we've worked on for people so uh, a midwest focus anywhere there's good high quality tillable row crop land uh, we have it seems like a, a steady presence in those areas but uh, also uh, with a you know with a, a look beyond that core area uh, when it's appropriate and what are the main divisions of Hertz? Now,
0: I know obviously auction or uh, the auctioning is, is yep. what you're sort of tied in
1: with, but there's other sort of main uh, divisions of Hertz yep. in there. Yeah, there sure is. So I kind of think of Hertz uh, has three primary legs to the stool, so to speak, and they all are supportive to each other um, and all connected in a lot of different ways. So um, we have an appraisal uh, business where we're working with people, you know, uh, both clients and, and attorneys and others that are settling estates need valuation work, formal certified valuation work done on behalf of uh, the people that they're that they're uh, needing a project done for, so our appraisal division, we have a farm management division where we are, uh, you know, we're uh, at people are asking, uh, say they're saying to us, "Hey, I want to slip off my shoes when it comes to making decisions on this property, and why don't you slip them on and help me uh, work through and make quality decisions for my property?" And that's the that's obviously the the longest. Uh, most established part of our business. Um, Carl Hertz founded Hertz Farm Management back in 1946. So we're in our 78th year business. And obviously, management has been a really important part of what we do. And as a result of both the appraisal business and the management division, we also end up uh, helping people acquire and helping people sell farms. And there's lots of different ways that we do that, but appraisal, management, and and sales of, of farmland and farm real estate related assets is kind of the three big areas that we spend our time with.
0: Okay, and so I think you've described what your current role is, but let's be a little more specific. What is yep. your current role now at, at at Hertz?
1: Yep. So my, if you're wanting a title, my pre, my title is president of real estate services for Hertz Farm Management. Okay. And so
0: you oversee the so, whole yeah. uh, auction, or not, not necessarily auction, but anything related to the
1: buying and selling of real estate. Is that that's accurate right. statement? So, that's right. I'm a, I'm the broker's broker as it as it happens uh, across our across our company. And so, um, just uh, you know, any time that we're handling a project, I may not be the one that is talking specifically to a client. But in a lot of cases, uh, for especially projects as they get more involved, I'm I'm working with our staff across the region and uh, helping to uh, come up with approaches that we can help clients be successful. Um, talking about different sale methods and just just helping uh, in sales projects, whether it's an auction, a brokered sealed bid, or other sales effort or acquisition effort, uh, helping our helping our people be successful. And deliver on the a quality product,
0: yeah. On the sales side, what what are, maybe over the last ten years, what have been the major changes in trends as far as how farmland is sold? I mean, before maybe it was purely word of mouth or auction. Now it's online, or what? Just for the audience out there, yeah. What what has changed really in the last ten or fifteen years uh, in that whole process?
1: Well, uh, when I started in the business back in the mid to late nineteen nineties. Um, the brokerage uh, approach, you know, I think most people will understand the brokerage approach when I say, you know, Century 21 and REMAX sells homes. We offer the same type of services for farmland. And uh, back in the 90s, when I started, the brokerage uh, approach to selling property was probably the most predominant and popular in the Midwest. And not to say that auctions, public auctions weren't a sale method at that time because they very much were. But we were still dealing with a generation uh, at that time that uh, had pretty long memory coming out of the Great Depression. And uh, the auction method of sale 30 years ago was thought of, I think, in a little different way than what it ha- is thought of today, just because it was a, it was a forced, uh, maybe yep. not necessarily the choice method of sale 30 or 40 years ago. And I think over the last uh, two to three decades, we've really seen an evolution in the professionalism of uh, public auctions and especially in the last five to 10 years, we've seen a huge evolution in the delivery of of professional public auction services through the internet. And you've seen it revolutionize lots of different uh, aspects of the auction world, you know, farm machinery, shoot, everything is sold, you know, through the internet. Now, it seems like back when I was a kid growing up on the farm, you would go to the auction uh, of of a neighbor's machinery, and most of that machinery was staying uh, within one or two townships of where it was being sold. And now it's going all over the country, in some cases, all over the world. Yep. As it specifically relates to to farmland, um, the you know, with the advent of, of delivery of services through the internet, it's it's also opened up the the farmland business. Um, and it's just allowed people to participate in a little different way than what they were before. You know, uh, it wasn't that People in Florida weren't buying farms uh, uh, fifteen years ago. It's just that they were on the on a cell phone with their with their farm operator in the auction room, and now they can shoot. They can participate in the auction that's being delivered through a hybrid method of sale or other method of sale. If it's a pure virtual auction, it just allows a, a level of connectivity that didn't uh, exist before, and it's and it's proved to be really really popular. So that's probably the biggest evolution, Paul, in the yeah. way that auction business has developed over the last, you know, five to 10 years.
0: I, I've been to two farm auctions where I attended in person. The first one was in uh, over in Eastern Iowa in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, you like bet. June or July. Yep. It took, and I ended up was the winning bid, but it took like, oh man, I'm going to say 35, 40 minutes to sell, you know, 160 acre parcel. It took 40 minutes or so. Right. And I finally got the bid, and then a year later, I attend an auction over in uh, the boot heel of Missouri. And I think the first parcel took about seventeen seconds to sell for eleven thousand dollars. <laughs> so I mean, it, it, you know that that whole pandemic—it was a big shift between uh, the world is ending to hey, I need this land. So yes, uh, yeah, yep. but um you know we'll go ahead and take a sponsor message break and then we'll talk about maybe some of the trends that you've seen in farmland values and we've certainly seen some trends so let's go ahead and take a quick break
1: how many years away is the long run for a farmer five years 10 years Top producers like Han Leinchi, a blue diamond farming company in Jessup, Iowa, know Rabo Finance shares his enduring vision for the future.
0: Whether it's building our grain site or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Rabo as a trusted partner to help us get
1: financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, RoboAgri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, RoboAgar Finance.
0: Welcome, everyone, back to the Top Producer Podcast. I am Paul Nefer, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Doug Hensley at uh, Hertz Farm Management. So, Doug, we've seen some rapid appreciation in farmland values, certainly since the start of the pandemic. Uh, why don't you recap what you've seen over the last few years, and then uh, we'll
1: sort of have you put on your crystal ball maybe for 2024. You bet. Yep. Thanks for the opportunity. And um, you know, when people think back to COVID and the pandemic in 2020, it seems like yesterday. But we're we're almost four years yeah. away from that first coming onto the scene, and the the world really did change. Uh, it seems like with 2020, and people in Iowa and Northern Illinois will remember the Deratio, uh event that we had in August of that year that really dist- it just destroyed tens of millions of acres of, of growing corn and soybeans at a really critical time. And that kind of set the, the grain market on a course. Um, and we, we had short supplies that year because of the damage to, to the crop that we had. And, and that really supported grain prices. And it's almost as if the, the switch flipped uh, along with the buying from China, where demand was really, really strong, supply was short, and we saw this spike. Uh, almost a super cycle type of spike in commodity markets, which just propelled this grain market. And because there's lots of factors that influence farmland, uh, one of the most uh, significant, and I n- know all your listeners will understand this, is the price of corn and soybeans. Yeah. And when we have a really high level of profitability at the farm level or at the farmland ownership level, like we had in 2020, and especially in 21 and 22, and to, some, to a lesser degree in 2023, that propels profitability, which uh, when you're profitable, you say, I want to do more of that. And so any farm that came onto the market, it just seemed like there was more and more competition through that two to three year period. And we we just saw a rapid increase in value. And there were some other things that were going on, too, with the stock market and the world being what it was. Um, farmland looked like a really attractive asset from a return perspective as well, because the ultra low interest rate environment um, there weren't a lot of options out there uh, with the exception of maybe going into the equity markets for people to find a good, safe place to put their investable dollars. And so farmland as an asset class really developed, I think, over the past four to five years in a way that it hadn't previously. And so great demand led to great movements in the land market. And coming into 2023, we uh, had remarkable yields and profitability in in 2022 and coming into 23 we continued to see really strong land markets as we got into the 23 growing season i think we were beginning to see a shift in the overall economy and including the farm side of the economy and and we've kind of been on this long uh long grind lower in the commodity markets in addition to the fact that we've had kind of a and and I won't call it a long grind higher in interest rates. It's been a pretty uh, pretty rapid <laughs> increase in interest rates over the past 12 to 18 months. And so those two things really play together uh, and influence farmland values, or at least the confidence in the countryside when it comes to farmland values. And that has that has played together to kind of level off our land market. And coming into 2024, we weren't seeing the explosive land value increases that we had the past two to three years. We've kind of seen a leveling off in our market, and I think you would you would talk to some brokers and auctioneers and other market participants out there that would argue, hey, some of these. Uh, second and third tier quality of farms are actually struggling a little bit when it comes to values here in early 2024. We haven't seen that quite yet in in the highest quality, that class A type of land that everybody wants. But whenever a market's transitioning, it always shows up first in the lesser quality. And that's what we're starting to see
0: is is the leveling off is it more due to the interest rates is it more due to
1: the fact that you know crop values have gone down or maybe a combination of both yeah I I think it's I will predominantly tie it to commodity prices weakening um but I will say interest rates are influence are beginning to influence things and it's maybe um, a little less direct. Paul of a of a connection to agriculture than what you would think. It's not so much that farmers are going out and borrowing a bunch of money and because interest rates are high, um, that's slowing things down. I don't think that's what we're seeing yet. What I do think we're seeing is you can you can go around the countryside to any community or national bank, um, you know, and get a, almost a five percent risk-free return on a on a six-month CD. Yeah. And um, when you look at farmland values that have that have appreciated, you're seeing still really strong rents, but you're probably seeing cash on cash annual returns from a farm in the two and a half to three percent range. And you know, when people look at the charts and they say, hey, farmland's had a really nice run up when it comes to farmland values. Um, am I going to continue to see appreciation in the near term? Maybe not. So maybe I'm going to put my money to work in a little different way than what I would have before. Two years ago, I just felt like farmland was a little more competitive uh, in comparison to other uh, opportunities for investor dollars. And um, that's probably the biggest impact of interest rate moves so far is that it's just for the pure play investors. I think it's migrating some of the money that was looking at agriculture and farmland specifically. Out to other asset classes again. You know the bond markets come alive again. Yeah. Uh, you know the, it, you can just you can look at a risk profile on different assets and and look at the return. And farmland doesn't look as favorable as what it did two yeah. to three years ago. Yeah,
0: investments are always cyclical. I mean, Correct. one will be up and the others down, and then vice versa. So uh, yeah. Um, now I know you're primarily involved in the real estate. Uh, you know the the real estate side, but. On the farm management, I'm just curious if there's any trends or anything that you've seen maybe just being involved in Hertz over the last few years. Are, are you seeing more and more people that, hey, they don't have an heir that's really involved yeah. in the farm, they still want to own the farmland, and so yeah. on? Just w- what do you see there over the last few years?
1: Well, uh, I, I think uh, this will resonate with with most of your listeners in the fact that Um, It seems like our general population is continuing to get a little further from the farm than previous generations. We may be one or two generations removed from actually having direct contact on the farm in today's world. And so as assets are, you know, as time moves on, assets are moving uh, from uh, older folks owning them down to a next generation that may just be increasingly removed from the farm. So, people who are inheriting farm assets, and there's going to be a tremendous uh, transition of ownership in the next ten to fifteen years. Um, that is going to happen, and it's increasingly going to happen to people who are further removed from the farm. And so, there's a need for quality information and understanding as to how the how the farm level works and how to communicate with uh, farm operators and there, again, it's just a, that there's gonna be a transition where um, uh, people who are removed from the local area where a farm is owned, um, we've become more of a scattered society. And so yeah, that's probably been one of the bigger adjustments. Um, and as people have re, have gotten further removed from the farm, they become uh, um, interested in and concerned about different things um you know there's a uh, there's probably as big of a push towards conservation um and sustainability topics in this current generation of farmland owners than there has ever been in the past not to say that farmland owners in the past weren't conservation minded but it's a real concern to to farmland owners in today's world they yeah. want to be uh, good stewards of their property. They of course want to make some money too, but they want to do it in a way that is responsible, and um, you know is going to leave that asset in just as good or better condition than what was left to them in. And so that's a really big focus for what we do for farmland owners that we're that we're doing management work for. Okay. Good. And then, uh, as
0: I get toward the end of the our conversation, I always have four key questions. So,
1: uh, yeah, the first key question is: uh, Who is your mentor or mentors? That's yeah. no, a great question. Um, I think I think I would answer that question with two different people. Uh, from a professional perspective, I still consider John Moss, uh, who I worked with as when I was a young man um, at Loranda. As one of my one of my big mentors, not only is he a great human being, and he was he taught me um, you know lots of things about life, but he also taught me how to evaluate farmland and and how to evaluate different areas because we are working all over the Midwest, and not every area in the Midwest is the same. And having wow. an understanding of how to approach a sale in any particular area is an important skill for somebody who's in the business that I'm in, and I think. Uh, On the personal side of things, I I have one brother, his name's Chad Hensley, and he's a couple years older than I am, and he's always just been... Uh, an awesome mentor to me. He has, uh, he's been a good sounding board for lots of things that I've asked him about and just a really good example for me. So those would, I think, be the two people that I would consider as my, my professional and personal mentors and both have done both, you know, they, yeah. but, uh, obviously, uh, Chad's my brother and John was my boss. So yeah, yeah. Uh, those are the two answers. Do you have time for any hobbies? You know, I love to travel, Paul. Uh, I've been on uh, five continents so far. Um, I'm not done, hopefully, with traveling. Um, I just, I'm curious. Uh, I'm a natural, uh, curious person who likes to see uh, and take in different people and cultures. And so that's probably my biggest hobby. Uh, I also have a couple of daughters and a wife that Love to travel with me and uh, kind of an adventure type of person. So those are probably the things that I enjoy doing if I have uh, personal time to to spend.
0: I have been. I'm with you. I've been on five continents, and believe it or not, <clears throat> the one I haven't been on is South America. So I need to get mm. down there and uh, visit some soybean country. I think so. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've been to Africa, Australia, Asia, Europe, and of course North America. So right. Uh, uh, And then is there anything that keeps you up at night?
1: You know, that's wow. That's a, that's a really big question. I, I think the thing that I probably am as concerned with right now is just the tone of, um, conversation in our country. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it's, it seems like when I was growing up, I admired people that, um, that could um could disagree but not in a disagreeable way right and i think that is a a bit of a a, i don't think it's a lost art i don't want to say that because i think there's still people who can do that but i don't think that type of approach in narrative and conversation and in ideas is um is thought of in the same way that it was when i was younger and so I'm concerned about that from a political perspective and just an intersocial perspective. Um, I, you know, like anyone else who has children, you want to have a have a place that you leave for your kids that's better than it was when, when you got it from your folks. Yeah. And um, I'm concerned that uh, we may not be leaving that for our children. So that's probably the biggest thing. Um, and not that we all have to get along all the time. That's just not a reality that exists when you have people who think differently. But we've got to be able to talk to each other. And, um, you know, a uh, uh, democratic republic like we have, it's really important that we uh, can find compromise. And I hope that we're able to get back to that type of uh, type of thinking and approach at some point here.
0: Hey, I have four grown boys and believe me, they don't always get along, but they still yeah, love no each doubt. other. And, and, uh, and when they're done, uh, Hey, Hey, let's go, uh, let's go play golf. So, you know, it's That's uh, right. But, uh, and then, uh, what's your definition of success in farming or in business in general?
1: Yeah. Yep. Well, and I think, um, I, as I mentioned, I'm growing up on a farm, my brother still farms in West central Illinois. Um, and I think and and I and I own some farmland myself as well. So I think there's a couple of things in my mind that define success. Obviously, it's not any one of these things that I'm gonna mention that uh, takes the cake, but I think the combination of all of them is really important. I think um, anyone in business or in farming, Uh, or including farming wants to be profitable. You need to make a living, Uh, you need to reinvest in your business. I think being sustainable so you build something that uh, is able to last beyond you is an important idea. And I think being community oriented is another really important idea for both um, business and the people who operate in a business, trying to be others focused. we I think that is consistent with the thing that keeps me up at night is the fact that I don't know that we're uh, as others focused or community oriented as we've been. And so I think there's some Midwestern values that we—we we, if we could apply some of those things uh, to our broader economy and our broader discussions that we could uh, maybe be a little more successful with. Um, you know, my brother and I, when we uh, were young, didn't own anything. We used to say true happiness is positive cash flow, but it's not all about cash flow. There's more yeah. to it than that. Yeah. And as an, as an accountant, I know you can appreciate that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And you know, I tell people, and of course, this is not anything original with me. It's it's not the destination; it's the journey. You got to enjoy sure. the journey, and uh, and. uh and and sometimes you learn more from the mistakes you make in life than you do from the successes. So, Usually, anyway. that's the case. No <laughs> doubt about it.
1: I know that's true for me.
0: Yeah, Doug. Anything else you'd like to add before we sign off?
1: I don't think so. It's going to be a really interesting year in agriculture, and so uh, buckle up. Every year's different, and uh, let's see if this grain market can find a bottom because that's that's when we uh, can begin to make decisions again. When we're grinding lower and it just seems that we haven't found the bottom yet, it kind of starts to get people worried. But we're going to find a bottom and we're going, to, we're going to be able to come through it just like we have in other cycles like this. Exactly, exactly. Again, Doug, thanks a lot. This is the Top Producer
0: Podcast, and I am Paul Nefer, your host, signing off.